How big is this ship? There are 24 decks. Almost 700 meters long. It took me six months to scrounge up enough titanium just to build a four-meter cockpit. How much did this thing cost? Money doesn't exist in the 24th century. No money? The economics of the future is somewhat different. My name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the Weekly Economics Podcast, where this week I'm joined by fellow podcast star, yes, there are two of us, uh, Aaron Bastani, who's co-founder of Navara Media, an independent media organisation, uh, where we're talking about fully automated luxury communism. I think the day is not too far off at all when we're going to have androids doing a lot of the work that we are doing right now. People are racing against the machine, and many of them are losing that race. We're going to see more and more things that look like science fiction, and fewer and fewer things that look like jobs. We're fortunate enough to be joined by Yanis Varoufakis, former finance minister for Greece. Would it be fair to say then that your position is well of fully automated luxury communism? Star Trek. I know this is all very confusing to you, so I'll attempt to explain. Give me a martini straight up with uh, two olives. I might just get to like this place. A lot has changed in the past 300 years. People are no longer obsessed with the accumulation of things. We've eliminated hunger, want, the need for possessions. We've grown out of our infants. <laughs> So hello, Aaron. Welcome to the Weekly Economics Podcast. Thanks for having me. You're often asking the questions, as many people will know, on Navarra Media, but the tables have turned today. I hope you're ready. I hope I am too, Kirsty. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. So today is the first of two episodes that we're doing on the economics of the future and how technologies uh, will play a part in that. Uh, specifically, uh, we're talking to you about fully automated luxury communism, uh, which you've written and spoken about quite a lot. It's a bit of a mouthful, uh, as I've just indicated. Can you sum up as quickly as possible what it means, uh, preferably in 10 words or less, in language that humans, uh, as well as robots, would understand? Well, I think I can do it in just under 10. I can do it in nine. Quite briefly, technology has changed everything. Politics needs to catch up. And that's it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's as clear as clear as glass. Um, so before we um, dig into exactly what you meant by that, uh, and um, especially the C word, mm-hmm. uh, that's communism, mm-hmm. uh, where did this phrase come from? Did you make it up? Luxury communism has been kind of an ideal on the German left for a while. Um, it's been more kind of, uh, it's a term that's been used to provoke, um, to disarm, to kind of, you know, jolt people out of their assumptions about what communism is. And the idea of fully automated luxury communism, those words in that sequence, to the best of my knowledge, I came up with it, yes. But that's not the point. But I think I did, yes. <laughs> kind of a big deal. So um, when will I get my own catchphrase? Um, so let's... Go and break that uh, term down. So we've got fully automated luxury communism. Fully automated, full automation. Uh, So what do you mean by that, Aaron? Full automation basically is about identifying a particular tendency within capitalism towards automation over time, uh, where work, tasks previously performed by humans through wage labour are increasingly done by robots, artificial intelligence. Now, this tendency was isolated by my boy Karl, Karl Marx, 150 years ago, he said this is an inherent tendency of capitalism over time. Uh, so on that basis, I would 
uh, say that the only demand we can really make under capitalism is for as much automation of wage labor as possible, uh, but it should be about the emancipation of human beings from work rather than maximizing profits for the people that own the means of production or robots in this case. Okay, so, I mean... Uh, many of us like our jobs, right? Um, not nobody that I I know, but um, so this sounds like bad news for for workers. That's what we spend an awful lot of our time doing. Yeah, robots doing all that work means that there's no jobs for anyone else, right? Yeah, um, under capitalism, yes, um, because well, this is again the tendency, right? Wages is the only means by which people can live under capitalism. That's why we're all work- well. Most people are working class. That's why people like their jobs, and why uh, the threat of robotics AI is a big one. Um, Former Bank of England economist has estimated that we're set to lose 15 million jobs in Britain over the next couple of decades because of these trends, right? So they're very, very big. In terms of people liking their jobs, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a select group. It's quite a small group. But maybe we can talk about that a little bit later on. I'd say the reason why they like their jobs is because there are two kinds of work. There's something which you could call organic labor, which is the stuff you choose to freely do, you know, free association with other people. Like when I do Navarra, that's what I think of is organic labor. <clears throat> frisbee. And then there's, right, Frisbee, exactly. Uh, and then there's, you know, looking after your parents, your kids or whatever. And then there's wage labor, which is the job you do to earn a salary to live. And these are two separate things. Now, for some lucky people, these can actually, I mean, that's the whole, that's the dream, right? That these two would overlap. But for the, you know, for the vast majority of the globe, that's obviously not the case. Okay, so how do we know this is, uh, well, uh, do we know this is actually going to happen? Uh, economists obviously didn't predict a financial crisis. The Queen was pretty annoyed about it. Uh, can we predict uh, that robots are going to take over all jobs at some point? Right. Well, I mean, again, like I said, it's a pattern over time. And automation, fixed capital is what they used to, that's what they call it in sort of classical political economy. Not just Marx, right? I'm talking about uh, David Ricardo, that whole tradition. Fixed capital replaces variable capital, i.e. workers, over time. What the last 30 to 40 years did, well, yeah, post-war period, is that we had lots of new service jobs, right, Um, that seemed to actually take up a lot of the slack. So we had new fields of employment created. The thing with AI is that once you have algorithms capable of performing effectively human uh, service work, I mean, this is quite a big deal. I mean, it's hard to imagine what kind of jobs would be created. And if you're a capitalist, why would you do that? Because clearly an algorithm will always be cheaper than a human. Um, so yes, it's it's an assumption, but I think it's a pretty informed one. Okay. Um, stand-up comedy. I'm going to go with that. Computers can't do that. You could get an eye uh, that could do ex, you know, extraordinary. I mean, first of all... I mean, isn't would, it horrible being a computer? There would, uh-huh. there, there would be some jobs, right? I mean, who's going to say when there'll be no jobs? Of course, there will be some jobs, but the point is, uh, to what extent will be, you know, political stability, will the kind of excellent economic model uh, be sustained through very few jobs. So what about the kind of bullshit jobs uh, pr- projection, which is that um, some jobs will go, but there will always be some crap jobs for humans? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of David Graeber's thing. And his kind of position is, well, um, and this is kind of true as well, that the ethic of work is, you know, it's the primary means by which we regulate society, right? Um, which is true. You know, we keep social discipline, we keep order because of the ethic of work, because of the, you know, we have a whole system of social control that's oriented around this, not just the wage, but, you know, about people's desires and so on and so forth. Yeah, that won't go away tomorrow. But again, like I say, if you're a capitalist, I mean, there's a reason why capitalists relocate production from one country to another. There's a reason why they 
automate parts of the production process. There's a reason why Foxconn is, just, is about to introduce or has just introduced 60,000 robots into just one factory in China, I think it's in Jiangsu. Uh, that's because it's more profitable. Uh, so from a sort of analytical point of view, I don't really agree with what David's saying, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, I saw the Foxconn thing and I was like, oh, rocking a hard place. Do you want a, do you want an awful job or, an, or do you want your awful job to be taken away by your right, robot? Right, exactly. And so this is where we come to the luxury communism bit. Um, I guess but you, tell, you can tell, tell us why luxury and not just communism. Uh, how does full automation lead to this luxury communism and uh, what, what does it even mean? Right, so I'd say luxury. I mean, first of all, you know, rhetorically, it's quite a provocative statement sequence of words so that's always useful politically at least it gets people thinking but actually you know and people say was well, that is that the point because wow that works but i said no it's also a propositional politics so i'd say it's it's luxurious because it aims at something beyond scarcity so john maynard keynes you know the foremost kind of bourgeois political economist in 1930s said that you know in a hundred years time we have no wars no big increase in population um, that for the first time since his creation, man, men, women, we face with their real permanent problem, how to use freedom from pressing economic cares, how to occupy the leisure, which science and compound interests will have won for them, how to live wisely, agreeably, and well. So I'd say that living without pressing care wisely, agreeably, and well uh, is a pretty luxurious vision. Um, now, for Keynes, he was saying that was going to happen because of technological change. Marx said, well, you could have all the technological change in the world if it's not accompanied by a political project, we're going to work just as just as long as we did before, which seems to be borne out in the data, despite you know technological change over time. So it's luxurious because there's an abundance of time. We're free from pressing cares. We've overcome scarcity. That's a result of automation, increased automation over time. Automation meaning a liberation from and of work for human beings. And it's called communism because capitalism is fundamentally premised on two particular features analytically again this is not an ethical concern for me it's analytically looking at this it's based on wage labor lots of people having to sell their labor on a market to live to capitalists and on exchange value and i'd say that new technology is undermining those two essential features of capitalism so we've already got a kind of technological paradigm that's transitioning something beyond capitalism if that is to another state of affairs which is beyond scarcity which allows everybody to live luxuriously, I, I think that could justifiably be called communism. Okay, so I'll, I'll come on to a little bit later whether we can uh, wrestle the capitalism from the capitalists. Um, but you're not a bit worried about using uh, the C word, uh, communism. A lot of people obviously have um, uh, bad associations for it, perhaps, you know, in many cases justified. Um, do you think that capturing the means of production, but this time with state-controlled robots, is the way to go? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, any... any no political ideal type functions. Capitalism as an ideal type doesn't function. Communism as an ideal type doesn't function. I mean, when Marx wrote Capital, it was called Capital, a critique of political economy. He was talking about the abstract ideas of Malthus, Ricardo, Smith. He wasn't talking about actually existing capitalism. You know, the thing he talked about was obviously going to fail because it was just a thing on paper. In reality, it's a dynamic system. It changed over time. It survived. Um, and I think, you know, yes, communism's got has a lot of uh, historical or communist states, states that called themselves communist, uh, clearly did a lot of terrible things, but so did ones that you know we would call free market economies. We don't castigate the free market because of it. Um, in terms of reframing, in terms of selling this as an idea to people, yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe let's call it something else. The reason why I'd call it communism, like I say, is, for, is because there's a historical tradition which has isolated all of this stuff 
It's a particular reading of Marx. Um, and Marx said, look, capitalism is better than feudalism. It's more productive. It's better for human beings. You know, William Morris didn't say that. William Morris wanted to go back to pre-industrial modernity. Marx said, no, that's, that's ridiculous. This is a necessary transition to communism, where we abolish scarcity. And I fundamentally agree with that. I fundamentally agree that capitalism is better than feudalism because it was more productive. Uh, and I think that whatever comes after capitalism will have to be necessarily not just more socially just, but it will be a lot more productive, much more efficient, uh, much more globally sustainable. OK, so what are people, do you think, going to do with their time if they uh, don't work? And actually, how, uh, obviously, you've talked about the, the kind of money question. How do you get money in a system like this? Uh, and isn't work just a really important part of people's lives? Right. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't come from like a revolutionary communist tradition, you may be glad to hear. I don't think if we have a revolution, everything changed. I think that's nonsense. And I think just, just as we transitioned to feudalism to capitalism, this took a long time, hundreds of years. Uh, it went through different areas. It went through a terrain of mental conceptions, a terrain of technology, a terrain of legal and institutional arrangements, a terrain of how we conceived of nature. All of these things changed over time and they were all interacting with one another. That led from feudalism to capitalism. I think something similar would have to happen to communism. My point is that the technology is already getting there. We need the mental conceptions, the social relations, the institutional arrangements to catch up with it. So all the things you're saying, totally right. I mean, none of us can conceive of how would we live under this situation. That's why I think that the specific reforms I would outline are quite reformist. Uh, I would say guaranteed social wage. I would say a three-day weekend. I would say taking housing, energy, transport, education out of commodity circulation, i.e. free at the point of consumption. Um, and I would say, you know, very interventionist state in terms of industrial policy for creating a zero carbon economy, for um, bringing the fruits of new technologies, synthetic biology, AI, robotics, additive manufacturing to the many, not the few. Um, but it would be a reformist project. Absolutely. Okay, I was just thinking robot-enabled Radio 4 and lots of Frisbee. But, um, so uh, do you have any kind of views on what's going to be automated in the next 10 years? Obviously, we've been through different waves of, of, of automation, and that seems to have hit um, kind of working-class communities in the UK quite hard. Yeah. Um, is it those? Is it surface sector jobs? I mean, I've heard about lawyers getting automated, right. you know, professionals, and that's when people's when, when when posh people's toes get wet. That's when people get annoyed. Exactly. I mean, yeah, well, it's already happening, right? I mean, if you look at the... The three paradigmatic middle-class jobs of the first half of the 20th century, law, journalism, medicine. I mean, who in their right mind would tell their children to join these industries now? You know, they're all kind of not doing well. So obviously things have changed, you know, really dramatically. A lot of that is an outgrowth of technology. Um, how informational goods don't really make much sense with a market mechanism under, the, under, you know, under conditions of the digital environment. In terms of what jobs go next... Yeah, it's difficult to say, but I mean, a great example is, you know, medicine, you know, you know, cardiac surgery. It's quite possible that cardiac surgery will not just be cheaper if it's performed by robots in, say, 50, 60 years time. I don't think it'd be that long, but let's be conservative in our estimates. Uh, it would probably also be, you know, more technically proficient. Um, you know, major issue may be, well, what regulatory oversight would we have when they screw up? Who's liable? Who's negligent? Sure. But uh, I think, you know, most smart people, when you look at the technologies that are coming through, you know, they're quite, they're quite honest that this is a matter of time. It's a question of when, not if. Yeah, I quite like the questions about self-driving cars and um, who's liable. What if it's, it, it, if it sees a person in the street, does it uh, swerve them and kill you? Right. Okay, so 
obviously this all sounds sounds like a, a, a great idea. Well, some of it sounds like a great idea, but it did a different way. <laughs> um, but this isn't going to happen, Aaron, is it? Uh, I don't see uh, the government nationalising Amazon and Uber anytime soon, yeah. and I do not see Amazon and Uber um, just giving up their uh, multi-billion dollar companies without some spilt milk. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not saying that this is going to happen overnight. Like I said, I, I outlined a few reforms, which I think would begin to tilt the balance of power back in the favour of labour over capital. So those are the guaranteed social wage, three-day weekend, some things being taken out of commodity circulation. And I think that would be the first, I think that'd be the first step forward. And also this, this dichotomy I talked about a bit earlier on, um, I mentioned earlier on about organic labour and wage labour. Now, we've spent so much time of our lives doing wage labour, not organic labour. We would need the three-day weekend. We would need the guaranteed social wage to begin to investigate uh, you know, how would we live our lives in different ways? How would we experiment with living in different ways? So, yeah, it would have to be, I think, very slow, very transitional. But at the heart of it, you know, you're honest about the possibilities of these technologies, how quickly they're changing, how massively they're going to shape society over the rest of the century. And you say, well, look, there is within this, you know, there's an imminent possibility of, you know, really emancipating huge numbers of people from wage labor. Maybe, maybe we'll still have to work, sure, but okay, 10 hours a week, 12 hours a week, you know, not 40, 50 hours a week. And the rest of the time that we've been working, we would, like I say, give over to organic living labor. Okay, cool. And if it all implodes, then Elon Musk will just get all the rich people onto his space flight and we'll all be uh, left to die right. um, so <laughs> i mean I, I, we're kind of a big deal our room will probably be on the ship right I, well you certainly will kirsten don't like me but <laughs> so um uh we've run out of time but yeah. thank you so much uh, for joining us aaron and giving us a little insight into uh, a little thing you like to call fully automated luxury communism uh, people can hear more of uh, you on navaramedia.com and next week we'll, we're going to be exploring automation even further and uh, the universal income too uh, with authors of Inventing the Future Nick Cernicek and Alex Williams thanks so much for joining us Aaron my pleasure The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org. I do like it when I do a remote podcast because I assume that you're sitting in your pyjamas or something. I'm wearing a shirt, actually, ironed white shirt, but yeah. No trousers. No trousers, exactly, no underpants. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) If you want to help us touch more ears with our kick-ass brand of economics-y goodness, uh, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a cheeky rating, unless it's just the one star, and tell all you see on Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, and that new hip, cool platform that I'm certainly not aware of yet. <laughs>